Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Optimal Health for Busy Entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Julian Hayes II, back at it again with a fellow superhuman. This guy is known by many things. His core is a belief that everything you can imagine is real. He is the oracle of, of Austin. Some call him a real estate tycoon. He does not believe in chronological age, which is music to my ears. And he is lastly the founder and CEO of Rastagar Property, Ari Rastagar. How's it going, man? going great man you know waking up every day and uh being able to do what you love is is a great blessing and um very lucky to be able to do that especially in my hometown and uh with the people that i love so i don't know i don't know what, what else i could ask for being happy healthy and full of energy absolutely man and before we start at the present and even go to the future let's go to the past a little bit and i was reading up a little about you and it seemed like the moment involving the Iranian revolution was kind of impactful with your family and everything. So what was, yeah, yeah it was a big inflection point. Um, you know, my grandfather was, um, you know, very close to the Shah of Iran. Um, my namesake was a five-star general in the Iranian revolution in the Iranian army. Um, and we weren't Muslim. So, you know, when the Ayatollahs took over, they literally killed our whole family. Luckily, my father and uncles and aunt were studying in Texas and Austin of all places with the plans to go back to Iran. Um, you know, my father was in boarding school in London um, during his kind of uh, middle school, part of his high school, studied in France. And you know, it was a lot of the kind of wealthier families did in Iran, but then they lost everything. And right around that time that, you know, the revolution broke out, my dad found out that his uh, girlfriend was pregnant and here I am. <laughs> and so we had to start it from scratch. And, um, you know, it was a, it's a plight that a lot of Iranian Americans share as well. You know, so the story that I'm sharing with you a lot um, of other Iranians that you'll see, whether in Los Angeles, there's a huge, you know, Iranian community there um, that share this similar plight and this very similar story. And, um, yeah, and I just kind of uh, was lucky to have the knowledge of knowing my grandfather very, very well, um, having an incredible father. Um, you know, my parents divorced when I was really young, um, but obviously very close to my mom. You know, she remarried, had a couple kids, very close to my, with my brothers and, um, you know, had some great mentors along the way. Yeah, and I talk with a few friends who have immigrated to, to America or their parents have, and I... I think there's some type of edge that they have in terms of work ethic. So I, was born, I was born in Austin. Mm -hmm. so but I, even like your parents though. Absolutely. I, yeah. yeah so first generation American. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You yeah. have a little hunger, right? Like there's mm -hmm. a little extra, a little ex ex extra hunger in you, right? Yeah. I just sense that with friends. And even if they, like you said, they were born in the States, but their parents like give off that mentality. And I think it gives them an edge to a certain extent. I think you're right. I think I think you're absolutely right. And you know, it's it's a double edged it's a double edged sword, right? You know, it's a it's a lot of cultural kind of pressure to go out there and do something, and um, but a lot a lot of guidance and you know um, a lot of mentorship. And um, I was very fortunate to have parents that were voracious readers, and so reading and education and health and wellness um, was very much in the DNA of our family. You know, like we were. My dad, you know, at one point was massage therapist. We were taking vitamins. My mom and dad were, you know, vegetarians back in the late 80s, early 90s when it wasn't cool to be vegetarians. My mom is, is into homeopathy. Um, you know, so I was very fortunate to be around health and wellness, um, 
you know, throughout my life. So it was very much a part of, you know, kind of my DNA of understanding that, which was a blessing. Yeah, that that is a blessing. Not to, I didn't have that, so I had to learn. I had to learn the hard way to really kind of reprogram my brain around health and wellness. I tell people all the time, like I want to learn, 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 learn. I was like, really, you need to unlearn more than you need to learn. Exactly, and that goes for a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, the truth is the fundamentals. Whatever you're doing, you got to You got to You got to unlearn more than you got to learn. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. So let's go back to, to what I look at as day one for you in terms of in terms of developing your real estate empire. And that was the $3,000 to get that first property. Yeah. What was your, what was your mindset at that point? Uh, being crazy. I don't know. I just had that itch. You know, I, I've, um, you know, my grandpa always wanted me to own buildings. Uh, he was a medical doctor. My dad's an attorney and it was my first year of law school. And, um, Man delivered pizzas through through college and had to go to two community colleges before getting into Texas A and M. I was an English major, you know, graduated top of my class, um, but you know, it was kind of a screw up in high school, and uh, you know, they didn't let me in, and maybe they shouldn't have let me in. But uh, when I got to law school, this is around two thousand five, I graduated in two thousand four from Texas A and M, and you know, the markets were going crazy, and. Um, I just felt like it was time to jump in. I saw this one man's name on a lot of these buildings that would drive to school and it would just be frame going up and say sold and sold and sold and sold. And um, I sold cars in between um, college and law school because I actually graduated in December after doing a study abroad in Mexico for a couple of years, like 18 months and to save up enough money. And I got a scholarship to go to St. Mary's in San Antonio. And so I'd saved up a little bit of money. To me, it was a lot of money. And um, I wanted to learn. So I just literally went and knocked on his door. You know, I tell people all the time, old school still works. Pick up the phone. You know, in this era, DM the person that you want to talk to. Um, You know, get on YouTube if you want to learn something. It's free. I mean, it's like this is the greatest age ever if you want to actually learn, right? And so I just went and showed up in his office and said, look, this is what I got. This is what I want to do, but I want to be on the build site. I want to learn how these houses are built. And these are little $80,000 interim construction loans that, man, I didn't have any credit. I didn't have whatever, but I had a little bit of cash. I said, look, I'll buy the lot and, you know, I'll work every day and you build it at cost and we'll split the profits 50-50. And, you know, he was generous enough to take me up on that. And by my third year of law school, um, we had amassed a pretty tremendous portfolio for a kid that, you know, was getting $2 tips you know, from Double Dave's Pizza not too long before. And <laughs> I was on the build side at 5 a.m., pouring concrete, tying rebar, putting up sheetrock, doing electrical, mechanical, and then rushing to law school in my work boots, studying till two in the morning, you know, just working my ass off. I mean, like psychotic, inhumane hours, but um, I knew that that's what I was supposed to be doing. I had a why, you know, mm-hmm. I had a why of what that meant. And then 2008 hit. And then all of a sudden, all those loans got pulled. And uh, what we thought was going to be, a, you know, for myself, a multi-million dollar exit uh, turned out to be zero. But my partner being the honorable man that he is and um, having liquidity and still a friend of mine to this day. And, you know, his, his kids now are all married and have children. And, you know, we're still relatively, you know, relatively close and in contact. Um, he said, look, you know, you worked really hard. I'm going to give you all your money back that you had in your scholarship money, pay back your, you know, $3,000 investor guy. 
Uh, you'll have good credit. I'll sign on all the debt and I'll wait. And he did wait several years, made a bunch of money. And then here's your hat. Good luck. And so I went to Wall Street and I promised myself that I would figure out how that happened and make sure it would never happen again. Um, I saw how much money people made during that recession, you know, that had the money, that had the acumen. And I was fortunate to work with some of the greatest minds in the real estate business because my wrestling coach growing up and I was, you know, I was a mediocre at best wrestler. And the guy that was my same weight class at our school, um, who's still one of my best friends since we were 10 years old, was a seven-time national champion. So I just got beat up every day, really. <laughs> so, but his cousin, I say cousin, but his Italian cousin, uh, ran Credit Suisse's entire real estate conduit lending business. And um, he kind of vouched for me, you know, kind of Italian style and um, moved me to New York and put me in the room with, you name it, the biggest names you could possibly imagine in real estate. And I helped manage some of their personal portfolios, work directly with them on individual projects, took their kids to school, like whatever I could do to just be around them. Uh, took the bar exam. I'm still a licensed attorney because my dad would kill me if I wasn't because, you know, that's more important to him. Uh, so, um, and after being there on Wall Street for many years, we, you know, got married and you know, we had our second child on the way and uh, Austin's my home and I kind of saw the writing on the wall. <clears throat> and one of my investors that I got to know really, really well when I was working at one of these shops kind of said to me, you know, why are you working for somebody else? Like you're doing the numbers, right? I'm like, yeah, you're doing the acquisitions, you're raising the money. Like, you know, when you grow some balls, you know, come tell me, I'll give you the money and start your own company. And it scared me. And so I went home and told my wife, she was like, well, what are you going to do? When we have to quit your job, we have kids, like, you know, you hurt. Oh, I got, you know, whatever. <clears throat> I went back down and said, all right. So he loaned me the money, paid him back a year later. And um, the rest is history. And within six years, we built a multi-hundred million dollar portfolio. We're building 4,000 houses in Austin. We have seven development projects breaking. We bought and sold and exited successfully in 38 cities, 12 states, seven different asset classes. Um, and we'll be in the billions in the next 18 months and started it from nothing, but good old fashioned, you know, hard work, man. I mean, like excessive, excessive hard work, um, and finding tools of personal development, you know, having a great life coach, um, always being curious, being a reader, being around great minds, listening, um, you know, taking my ego out of the equation. Yeah and making sure I'm surrounding myself by believable people. And we've been able to build something really special. Yeah, that was going to be the thing I was going to say is also finding a way to get yourself in the room with the right people. Yeah, and, and, and you, a lot of it is luck. And I, I hate to say that, but you know. But it's truthful though. But, but it's really, yeah. it's, it's yeah. really truth. I got very lucky in a lot of ways too. I was very blessed to be able to be in those situations with the people that I was. There's so many people that work incredible hours like I have and um you know but but I got really lucky and really blessed and um my way of honoring those blessings was to capitalize on it you know and I knew it was a blessing I know the difference at this point in my life between raw hard work got me to x mm -hmm. and achieved it and then this was providence like I know the difference now like I have the discernment to be able to see you know what that was and so I'm still very much in awe of where where we are because i know that 
um, we were blessed to be here. And, you know, people heard someone talking about humility recently um, and had a beautiful quote that really resonated with me was that humility is not thinking um, less of yourself. It's thinking less about yourself, hmm. you know? And so I'm still in awe of um, the ability to do what I love, you know, and do it every day with the people that I care about, people that I respect and um, to build great projects, um, to be able to have the artist in me, which you know, I very much have, although I'm a risk manager in my, in my day job, you know, to me in my heart, I'm an artist and uh, to be able to design beautiful buildings, figure out how people are gonna live and what the future of that looks like, marrying technology and data and analytics into that, being the oldest millennial, which is kind of a funny you know, thing about me that I'm actually the oldest millennial. Um, whatever that means. Um, so I kind of, I'm J. Cole's middle child, right? Like I'm stuck right in the middle of two generations. Like I'm the little brother to all the, all the old heads and I'm the big brother to all the younger guys. Um, Absolutely. You know, and so we have a huge list of, our investors are mostly public pension funds, family offices and institutions. But, you know, we have a huge list of celebrities, athletes, NBA players, NFL players, um, musicians, you name it. And so getting to talk with them and spend time with them, you know, I realize that the fundamentals of getting where you want to go are very, very similar, right? And um, so much of it has to do with knowing where you're going. And that sounds like something very simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Well, you need to know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that was one of the things that I was very fortunate is that I knew what I wanted. Like I knew what I wanted to build. I didn't know, you know, how I was going to do it, but I knew my what and I knew my why. And I knew what the, my why wasn't about me. It was about doing something for, for other people to contribute, about growth and contribution. And I knew the what, which was in real estate and marrying pop culture and creating the next generation of, you know, what living and housing and um, you know, will be for millennials and Gen Z as, you know, we watch the baby boomers pass on this wealth to that next generation um, and kind of being the plug in between the two of them and the what, the how of it kind of iterated on its own um, as we worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I'm about to ask this question. I, I know the answer in my head, most likely, but for listeners out there who, and I'm sure you get this a lot. How do you work with these high profile clients, these athletes? How did you get in their orbit to start working with them? Um, you know, I, I treat them like, look, they're people at the end of the day. Exactly. You know, at the end of the day. And I think congruency and authenticity um, speaks volumes, you know, and um, I don't watch sports. I don't even like sports, to be perfectly honest. You know, and I think that's always funny having all these athletes. I watch my boys, like my, my boys are playing, I'm watching them. You know, or if the greats are playing at Braun or Serena or, you know, any of the greats of anything, Tiger, you, I mean, you name it, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, see, you know, I'm watching them, right? I'm not watching sports per se, right? Um, but I'd like to believe that it was authenticity, you know, and just getting connected to them and getting to know them and then realizing I'm just a regular dude in a hoodie, just like them. I don't wear Rolexes or you know, I'm, this is all for my kids, man. I got three beautiful children and um, I love what I do. And a lot of them, they love what they do, you know, and, and the ones that work with us, you know, are really on a mission, whether it's something to better their family, um, you know, or they're just in love with the game of basketball and that's just what they do and who they are. 
and those tend to be or the artists that are just artists and it just bleeds out of them. Um, those are the people that we've worked with because we share common core values. And um, just through the grapevine of being around um, that, those types of people, um, you get in those rooms and just by being vulnerable and being authentic and, and just letting it roll, you know, and um, that's really what it is. Like, so I didn't go after it at all. I just, I just did me and a couple of them kind of ended up in the same room and ended up chopping it up about different things and, you know, and I'm never out selling anything per se. And, you know, they expected me maybe to, they'd read about me or seen what I've done and just built authentic relationships with great people. And um, it led into great business. You know, and that is, that matches with a lot of other people that I've interviewed in the past who now maybe have high profile clients or whatever. It's that they focus on relationships and they focus on getting good at their job. And then that stuff came. So yeah. that's, that's great to hear. You have to be obsessed with your consumer and you have to care about their needs and put their needs above your own, whether that's Amazon and that's why they became so successful is because, you know, Bezos was obsessed with his customers. And it was up until only about a year ago that he still once a month got on customer service calls. You didn't know it was Jeff Bezos, but he was sitting on a call for a $14.99 return of, you know, diapers or whatever mm -hmm. it is. So he could be on the front lines and build services um, that were going to make his, the, the lives of his customers easier. And that's what um, made Amazon so successful. And he differentiates between mercenaries and missionaries. There's mercenaries that are after money and missionaries that you know, are out to do something different. Mercenary businesses you know, might have a good run, but they don't last the test of time. Um, Jack Welch, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, rest in peace, he passed away uh, in March of 2020. You know, probably one of the greatest managers, leaders ever, leader, chairman of GE, as you know, maybe your listeners know. Um, if you don't know who Jack Welch is, I highly recommend you read all of his books, get to know who he is, especially if you're an entrepreneur. Um, but he talked about um, a few things, but one thing that really stuck with me was when you're creating a product, whatever it is, you have to objectively put yourself on the other side of the equation and ask yourself, would I buy this product at this price point? And does this make my life easier? Is this something genuinely that my customer needs versus me selling you something? Like, can we create something that they want to buy because it helps their life in whatever respect? And if the price point that they were, they were entering the market was competitive, it gave deep value to their end user con, you know, consumer, and it created some sort of convenience or whatever that was, even if they had a 5,000% markup, but if it was still cheaper and better and the consumer was happy, that's when they knew they had something good. It really stuck with me. And so to any entrepreneur that's out there doing whatever they're doing, you have to take it outside of you. The biggest mistakes that I made in my book comes out in June called The Gift of Failure. And um, it's about introspection into, into those things. And I found you know, the biggest mistakes I made in my life uh, in business were wanting to be right. Hmm. And, you know, me, like I wanted to be right. And it wasn't until I was looking for the right answer that things started to change and listening to those things. And when we're in our investment committees and we're talking about deals or whether or not we're going to invest, we never talk about making money. All we talk about is how we could potentially lose money. Hmm. 
everything that's is about capital preservation because that's you know ultimately the name of the game and in our opinion we're not the home run you know, swing for the fences kind of folks we're singles and doubles people so um being obsessed with our consumers and putting their needs first you know that reminds me when you just said singles and doubles um i was reading a few articles of yours just from years back and you had a line in there that said boring is beautiful yeah i love that and um it's it's something that I think is one of the toughest things probably for this, for this generation now, and I'm speaking of myself as well, is that the toughest challenges is not the access to information now. It's really our focus and our ability to stick with something I think about. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. And, you know, look, I tell people all the time, and you mentioned it, a, a creed that's on all of our development projects, a Picasso quote, everything you can imagine is real. Um, I live in a world where everything is possible. One of my favorite poets, a Persian poets, Rumi, um, I'll bastardize the quote, but you'll get the point. He said, you know, if there's a candle that's lit and you take another candle and you light another candle, that doesn't take anything from the brilliance of the first candle, okay? So I live in a world of sharing, um, you know, whatever it is I can humbly teach anybody that I've learned along the way, which is the, which what the book is, you know, ultimately, you know, really about, but to find success, you have to be laser focused. And, you know, multitasking is bullshit. You know, it, it, it spreads you too thin. And you can take that same thing um, to um, friendship. If you have 30 friends, as an example, you can only spend so much time with each one of those people. If you have five friends, you can devote more time and energy to those five friends and build deeper, longer relationships with them. So it's, again, it's back to the fundamentals. Like, you know, right? And so... You know, for me, it was about rinse and repeat. It was about finding a strategy, finding a thesis, finding a lane that I can own, that I understand, that I'm comfortable with, that's filling a need, and just keep doing the same things. When you go by Rastigar Apartment Buildings, as an example, which is one of our many verticals for industrial, master plan development, you name it, um, it's the same gray paint, the same finish out, same floorings. We buy it in bulk. It works. You know, we have Ferrari red doors, which is for Ari, you know, my wife thought it would be a funny kind of joke. <laughs> you know? So, but it, it's rinse and repeat and it works and we have a thesis around it and we don't try to reinvent the wheel. We just try to keep the wheel balanced and aligned. And um, you can do everything you want in this world. Truly. I believe that just not today. Yes. Just yes. Not today. So yes. Pick one, master it and then move on to the next one. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of that, I want to dive into now um, health and wellness, because this is a huge part of, of your life. Um, when I, huge. And, um, and uh, when we first got connected, um, I wouldn't have ever thought a guy like you would have like anxiety issues or anything like that. Oh, man. <laughs> so, so let, let's, let's talk about, let's, to just dive into that. Let's, let's start with your wellness routine, or I guess let's specifically start with um, anxiety and, and getting a hold of that. Yeah, I mean, when you're running a big business and um, you have people's families that are you know, trusting you to make payroll, making big acquisitions, being steward people's capital, um, you should take that seriously. You know, I have no anxiety about me, I know who I am. But the things that keep me up at night is making sure that I can still honor, you know, you know, the, you know, the promises that I've made, you know, and continue to deliver. And the way that I learned to do that is by investing in myself. 
making sure that my wellness is right, that I'm in the gym and they say in airplanes, you know, when the oxygen mask drops to put it on your face, put a person next to you, that's not selfish. That's actually humble so that you can help more people. And so I invest tremendously, whether in hyperbaric chamber treatments, stem cell treatments. Um, I have a full-time age management doctor that makes compact, that makes pharmaceutical grade vitamins specifically designed for my blood. Um, I'm in a gym six days a week. I train with, you know, uh, Jeremy Hill is one of the greatest trainers in the world. He trains all big professional athletes, um, you know, because the better I feel and then through transcendental meditation, through spiritual practices, um, I can show up better and I can show up with more vibrance and, um, and I can contribute more. And so um, I put a tremendous amount of focus on that because I'm all I have at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. right? I'm, I'm my asset and how I treat myself um, is a reflection of whether you want to call it self-love, self-respect. Um, how you treat yourself is how you treat the world. You know, you find a person that has a lot of pain and all those other things, it's going to resonate. So when it came to anxiety or came to those issues, um, I realized that I wasn't eating the right foods. And I found that, you know, you know, gluten and dairy and these different things were caused were irritants and were causing problems um, metabolically. So there are some psychological pieces causing the anxiety, but a lot of anxiety and depression is misdiagnosed as a psychological issue when it's really an eating issue or an exercise issue, you know, you know, going for a jog or, you know, jumping on a trampoline or a rebounder secretes serotonin and lowers that anxiety, learning how to meditate versus you know, taking some sort of antidepressant or Xanax or whatever it is, but finding tools and using my life coach who I've been with for 12, for 12 years now, um, who coaches Hugh Jackman, I mean, Michael Rapino, I mean, the list goes on. I mean, her and Tony Robbins are probably the biggest in the world. Um, and finding tools to um, alleviate those issues in a very constructive way. And um, it's not easy, man, you know, because you got to look in that mirror and you got to see that um, things aren't right. And um, it takes a tremendous amount of vulnerability. And for a guy, you know, you wouldn't like, you wouldn't like me 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> But do you, do you I, I, you know, I hear that a lot with, with sometimes with entrepreneurs and I sometimes think though, don't you think though, that a little bit of that personality 10 years ago is also the reason that puts you where you are right now It was it was kind of beneficial to a certain extent. Look, I, I, I look at it as, you know, there was a point in my life when life was happening to me, mm -hmm. life was happening for me. I connected the dots backwards and that's, it got me where it got me. I wouldn't change anything. Exactly. And so this is, you probably talked to a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm sure. And at the early stages of their business, I guess they're probably more in like a hustle mode, the dip. And, the dip. and sometimes they can use as, as an excuse. So from the very start of your entrepreneurial journey, was you always just diligent and meticulous about your health or was it just a, a evolution? God, no, 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 I didn't. Absolutely not. Like I, I understood the value of my health, but in mm -hmm. college, I was eating ramen noodles and macaroni and cheese. You don't have any money. I mean, like, whatever. And now things are much more affordable. You can buy a can of sardines that is 40 grams of protein for $1.25 and, you know, get a little thing of spinach for a buck and have a perfect meal, right? And um, 
I, I wasn't thinking like that in that time. I went to college too. And, you know, you're out drinking and being a college kid and doing all that stuff. And, you know, your priorities are different, but it wasn't until um, our first child was born that I realized that I wasn't feeling good. And um, I was working crazy hours and um, I just didn't have the energy to be the dad that I wanted to be or be the husband. I, I just didn't have, I just didn't have it physically. And so I could lose my hair and I had dark circles in my eyes and, <laughs> I, just, I just didn't feel good and um and i went on a mission to figure out why and um and it, it revealed to me what was going on so i take about 150 vitamins a day that are custom made for my blood operated mm-hmm. every 60 days um in addition to all the wellness routines and the way that i eat i take food sensitivity tests I'm um, on infrared and near infrared light beds, cryotherapy, stretching, yoga, weightlifting, Pilates. I mean, all you know, all during different times, obviously, um, to make sure that you know, like I said, that I can give, I can give my all. Yeah, and I'm sure it's noticeable with everyone around you. Yeah, they all, they all. It, yeah, it's 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 infectious, and it's infectious either way whatever you do, if it's toxic, it's infectious. If it's constructive, it's infectious when you're a leader or you're, you're the head of an organization. The old saying is the fish stinks from the head down. And so let's, with entrepreneurs now, what do you think is a good starting point for them when it comes to their health? Um, they need to be eating a lot more vegetables. That's sim- yeah. Eat more vegetables. Regardless of what your thing is, you need to be eating more leafy green vegetables, period, end of story. You need to be moving your body, you know, move your body every day, whatever that means, get your heart rate up, even if it's for five minutes, eat way more vegetables than you think you should be, and get started. Simple, but not always the easiest to follow for a lot of people. Not pretty, it's not that hard. You walk out of your house and go sprint for five minutes cheap free you don't need a gym membership you walk to the grocery store you know and spend a couple bucks and just like i said we will get a go to i go to costco and get wild salmon in a can literally the stack mm-hmm. is big i keep it in my office it's you know 15 bucks for like a bunch of them and i just open it up and eat it with a fork then i'd be fancy yeah and um trying to make it fancy and say it's expensive it's not it's actually cheaper but nobody's <laughs> putting the work you know, speaking of putting in the work, um, I might butcher this that you said. I think you said resourcefulness over resources. I might have butchered that a little bit. And um, besides that one thing, what do you think is some other limiting things that is stopping entrepreneurs from really taking it to the next level with their mindset? Limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. Just limiting beliefs that have been unlearning, like, like we said before. You know, and a lot of times the people that have put those thoughts into our heads are the people closest to us and not out of because of anything nefarious or bad, like our parents, as an example, or grandparents. Grandma wants to give you that pie that she cooked you out of all the love and whatever, but it's terrible for you. Or, you know, mom tells you, no, 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 you can't do that. Or we're not going to be able to do this. or We're not going to be able to afford that. Or we'll never be able to do that. She's not saying because she doesn't love you and doesn't want you to be whatever, but she doesn't want you to get hurt, you know, and, um, you got to be like Nike. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. And that's how you do it. How do you learn how to ride a bike? Ride a bike. 
And that's my only advice to investors, if you, uh, to entrepreneurs, investors, whatever it is you have a passion for, just fucking do it. And stop talking about it. Don't talk about it. Do it. Just go do it and start, you know, wherever you are. You know, I flipped burgers when I was in high school. I delivered pizzas through college. I'm sitting on a billion dollar portfolio, you know, over the next 18 months. Like, and I'm not the smartest guy in the world. You know, so it's, if you want it, go get it. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't get it, it means you didn't want it. Ball don't lie. My ball does not lie. My boy, my boy, Mike Stud, you know, he started a podcast recently um, and he had Johnny Manziel on there. And that was the tagline of the podcast is ball don't lie. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. Ball don't lie. You want to show me what you're doing? You want to talk about it? Let's see the numbers. Ball don't lie. You do the work, results will come. And if you didn't do the work, you ain't gonna have, gonna have no results. No, that's, that's a, no, a simple no truth. Failures, ain't no excuses. You failed, but you got to get back up. You I know, every time. And it's that type of mentality that's needed. But I, I feel now that it's kind of. People are soft, man. Okay. <laughs> it's soft. It's soft. And that's okay. If you want to be, you want to live a mediocre life, that's your business. Mm-hmm. You know, the beginning lines of my book are I hope you fail. The second line is I hope you fail a lot. That's where you learn. Mike Tyson would say everybody has a plan to, until they get punched in the face. Thanks. You know, they're soft, though. They talk about wanting all these things and they see everybody flexing on Instagram with this, that, and the other. And people are can, more concerned about looking rich than being rich. You know? And I don't think about making money. People say, hey, what's your net worth? I don't know. I have no idea. How many properties do I own? I don't know. I just do the work. I'm doing the process. I'm shooting the free throws every day. I'm in the gym every day. Shooting free throws. So when it comes game time, I ain't got to get ready. I'm ready. And if you're constantly doing which I imagine so you don't have time to look at competition or what anybody else is doing. Yeah. Horse blinders on, man. I'm running my race. And you see this in sprinting all the time. Look at Usain Bolt. Is he looking at the left or right? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm running my race. I'm running it my way. I'll make my mistakes. They're mine. I don't have competitors. My competitor is me. It's, it's me five years ago and me in the future. That's what I'm competing with. I want to be better. Benjamin Franklin said it best you know, a mantra that I live by. He said, be at peace with your neighbors, be at war with your vices, and every year find yourself a better man or woman, or whatever pronoun you pick. <laughs> but every year find yourself a better human being. And that's what I live by, even if it's this much, because those compounded little returns stacked up over time, they add up. 1% adds up. I think it's the Kaizen principle or something like that. Then, Kaizen, constant, never-ending improvement to the day that I die. Absolutely. And so as we get ready to wrap this up, let's do just a few random questions here. So what does success mean to you? You know, success is, is making sure, you know, Emerson said it best. Success is making sure that, you know, one life breathes easier because you've lived. And I can, I can leave, I can do something that 
makes people's lives better. To me, that's that that would be success. You know, that's that's that is the essence of success to me. What does failure mean to you? Failure means learning. And where do you see the next five years for you? Straight up. I like it. And are you a music person? Obsessed. All genres. All awesome. era, All music. Okay. All right. Let's do this. So um, who's in your all-time starting five in musical? Musical starting five. It can be groups. Huh? What genre? Uh, big genre. Pick rap. Okay. Rap. Uh, what genre do you like the best? Um, you know, I listen to rap the most, probably. Okay, we'll do rap. I love all of it. Like, we have Sinatra playing in the house all the time. I like Sinatra. We'll listen to Coltrane. Like, we'll listen. I was a big Dave Matthews fan, big Nirvana fan, Pink Floyd. Like, I, I run the gambit, but when it comes down to it, you know, the kid, the kids are listening to Drake and Abel mostly. So, you know, so, that's what you listen to. So, we'll do rap then. We'll do rap. So, let's do your five. Rapper to ever touch a microphone, hands down, end of stories, little Wayne. That's the best? Best. Okay. Probably M next. Um, Nas is up there. Hove. Five is tough. I'll tell you my, my favorite that might not be one of the best is Fabulous. Oh, I, I like Fabulous. I like Fabulous. Like that, it, but, Wayne, but Wayne is the most prolific rapper to ever touch a microphone. I mean, since he was 11 years old, he's still doing it. And what M did was just silly. I mean, it was just completely, absolutely bonkers beyond belief. Um, love J. Cole. I have so much respect for J. Cole. So much respect for Big Sean. Um, there's a lot of great talent out there um, that are doing good things, that are saying good things. Um, you know, Drake. Love Drake. Um, you know, a lot of people helping him which kind of violates the rules that i grew up in um, but we love his music absolutely all of the fans my five-year-old my eight-year-old we sing all the songs from pop star you name it um you know uh, and uh, the next thing is um pretend that you have a bottle of wine or a bottle or a bunch of smoothies if, if we're just staying healthy that day if we're just staying healthy that day and what was that celery juice or celery juice so we got so we got a bottle of celery juice and you can invite three guests to join you at this round table and from any point uh, in history dead or alive it doesn't matter they can be dead or alive what three people would you invite elon for sure i would probably invite man that's a good one you got me actually thinking there's a lot of people out there. Um, I'd probably bring John Hagland, who's the head of the Transcendental Meditation Movement, who's a quantum physicist. Um, I'd bring my eight-year-old daughter. Okay. Interesting. Why um, Why your eight-year-old daughter? Because she's my blood. And she's the oldest of my of my children that gets it. Mm -hmm. Ten times smarter than me. So I'd want her to soak up all the knowledge that'd be in that room. Awesome. That's a first. Normally I exclude friends and family and I didn't this time. So that's that's interesting. That's a very interesting answer. And so um the last question here is someone comes up and taps you on the shoulder and they ask, What are three things that I can do today to start becoming a superhuman entrepreneur? What would you tell them? 
read. I read 10 to 15 books a week and I have for 25 years. Read, set goals, and fucking do it. Simple enough. I love that. That's a great way to bookmark this conversation. Ari, where can listeners keep up with you at? Um, they can, I mean, you can Google me. I mean, you can Google Rastigar, you can Google Ari Rastigar. I'm pretty easy to find. I have a column in Forbes. It's pretty public what we've done. Um, you know, you can go to at Rastigar on my Instagram. Um, I'm kind of not really good at social media, but I got a team that kind of does that stuff. Um, but we're pretty easy to find. You just type in my name into Google. You'll see only about two or 3,000 articles that will tell you what we're doing. And um, reach out if we can help you. Yeah, and I will have all that in the show notes. And I look forward to checking out the book when it comes out. Send you a copy. All right. So listeners out there, stay awesome, be limitless, and go be superhuman. Peace. 